Our reading today is from Acts 11, and it's verse 19 to 30. You can find that on page 865 in the Church Bibles. Acts 11, 19 to 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Get a Bible and open it in front of you, Acts chapter 11. It's going to help you this morning to have that there. Um, We're going to be thinking either side of Easter about what it means to be on mission for Jesus. That's the title for our series, On Mission for Jesus. We're going to watch how they did it in the early church and try and learn some lessons as we go. I don't know if you're an expert in Acts or if you've never read it. If you've never read it, I bought 10 copies this week, which are on a table over there. Do help yourself to one if you don't have it. It's a great read. Uh, The book of Acts is written by Luke. And if you think I've heard of Luke, it's because Luke wrote one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so he wrote an account of Jesus' life. And Acts, in a way, is Luke part two. It's what happened next. What happened after Jesus returned to heaven over the next 30 years? So it's a 30-year story about what happened next in the life of the church. And it's really about what Jesus' apostles, those who had seen him baptized right the way through to when he returned to heaven, and especially had seen his death and then resurrection, did. That's why it's called Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. So that's what it is. And it covers those 30 years. Um, And the key verse of it all is found in chapter 1. And Tim Howlett brought this to us last week, if you were here. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the whole structure of the book of Acts follows it from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and then on to the ends of the earth. So it begins with Jesus returning to heaven, as we saw last week. And then in the next chapter, the Holy Spirit comes from heaven and empowers 120 people who believe in Jesus to live for him, including the Apostle Peter. 
And Peter then goes out into the streets and he tells them the good news about Jesus, about the God-man who came from heaven to earth, who lived as one of us and then died as one of us and then rose again so that we can be forgiven and have new life. And as Peter concluded his sermon, it says that 3,000 people responded to say, I repent of the way I've been living. I want to turn from that and say to Jesus, come and be my Lord and my Savior and my King. It's an amazing moment. And the first 12 chapters of Acts then follow the story in Jerusalem. So chapters 1 to 12 go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. In that process, it's mainly Jewish people telling other Jewish people about Jesus. So in every town where they go, there's a Jewish contingent, or they're nearly all Jewish people, and they tell them about Jesus, that you need to put your faith and trust in him. And the apostle in focus is Peter. He preaches that first sermon, and 3,000 people are saved. He's often the one who's caught up in the preaching and teaching and taking the gospel to new places. It's what he does. And then right at the end of those chapters, there's something that happens that he wasn't expecting. He's chilling out in Joppa, a place where Jonah, if you know that story from the Old Testament, set sail. Susan and I have actually had a meal, sat by the sea there in a restaurant called the Old Man of the Sea. I can imagine it all happening. And while he was there, he saw a vision that really disturbed him. And it was preparing him for the fact there was going to be a knock on the door. And someone had come to find him and take him all the way to a Roman centurion's house, a Roman called Cornelius. It's quite possible that Peter by this time was in his 40s, maybe his 50s, and had never stepped foot in a non-Jewish person's house. It was a huge deal for him. And he crossed over that threshold. And Cornelius, the Roman centurion, wanted to ask questions about the Lord Jesus. So Peter preached to him. And you wouldn't believe it, except you would. He was saved. And Peter saw the same Holy Spirit that had come on him originally, and the 120 others, and Jewish folks. Suddenly, there was a Roman centurion full of the Holy Spirit of God. And it was huge. And it was amazing. And it began a thread that would take the gospel through the rest of Asia Minor and into Europe and all the way in the end to Rome. So the second half of Acts, Acts chapters 13 to 28, focuses on that, the ends of the earth part, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And it's mostly Gentiles, non-Jewish people now, who become Christians and the apostle in focus is a man called Paul. He's the one who drives the mission forward. And these chapters are split. So the early part covers three missionary journeys of his. And that's the bit, as Ian said, we're going to focus on. And then the latter part, he's arrested and taken all the way to Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, seen as the most important city in the known world at that time. And that's where the 30-year journey ends. And what we're going to do today is look at the beginnings of the first church that was predominantly non-Jewish people. And it's no exaggeration to say this is the beginnings of the church that changed the world, and we have a lot to learn from them. 
No one else is going to be a church that did what they did. I think they are probably the most significant church that has ever been or will ever be in history. But we can all make a difference to the world around us. This church changed the world, but a church that's really living for Jesus will change the world around it and will make a difference in the world further afield too. And we're going to see we need four things if we're going to be that sort of church here at Phillips Street. Four things. We're going to need evangelists. We're going to talk about who they are. We're going to need encouragers. We're going to need teachers, people to teach God's word to one another. And we're going to need givers. And you know the good news? We can all be all four. That's why I think we can all be those who take the good news to others. We can all be those who encourage others. We can all be those who teach others. And we can all be those who give ourselves to the mission of the church. So that's where we're going to end today. But we begin back in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Exactly what we'd expect in this early chapter of Acts. Do you remember? They were evangelizing Jewish people. They were telling the good news of Jewish, uh, about Jesus to Jewish people. So they were doing what would normally have been done. Who were these people? Well, they were scattered, it says here, after the persecution that arose over Stephen. Stephen was an early church leader. He shared the gospel, the good news about Jesus. He was arrested and he was executed. And after his execution, here's the comment in Acts chapter 8 that Luke writes. And it says, And Saul, and that's Saul who would become the Apostle Paul, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So scattered where the Lord said they should go, except the apostles. They stayed those eyewitnesses stayed in Jerusalem. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word of God. So these were ordinary Christians who everywhere they went just told people about Jesus. They explained what he had done for them. And where did they go? Well, there's a map on the next slide that will show you. you might, it's a bit small, but Jerusalem's down there in the south, and they basically went up the coast. So some went to the island of Cyprus, I'm guessing some of you have been there on holiday. Nearly whenever I mention this, there's one person who comes up to me after and goes, I've been to Cyprus, or I've, I've done that thing. I'll see if that's true again today. You may have been there. Um, Phoenicia's the coastal bit up uh, on the side there. And then at the top, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, is the city of Antioch. And Antioch was the third largest Roman city after Rome and Alexandria, had a population actually very similar to the size of Bristol today. It was a very significant city. And uh, all sorts of people lived there, all sorts mainly of Gentiles. About a seventh of the city was probably Jewish. Six sevenths were not, drawn from many different nationalities. But like James was talking about Kensington, it was that sort of a city where it was a real mix of people. But the heroes of this story, I think, are interesting. So it says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. That was what was expected. Here's the but. See that but? There were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene in North Africa 
who coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, when we see the word Hellenists, we might think, well, they're part of some strange cult, or are they like hell's angels, because it looks a bit similar. But it doesn't mean that at all. It just means they spoke Greek. That was their language. And it almost certainly means they weren't Jewish, because of what um, Luke says in the verse before. So they crossed over and said, we're going to take this good news, not just to the Jewish folks, we're actually going to take it to other people and see what happens. Now, to us, that's quite normal. But for them, this was revolutionary. What would happen when these people heard that news? You know, I don't know what pops into your head when I say the church here, a church that changed the world needs evangelists, people who talk about Jesus. I mean, maybe if you're of a certain age, you think something like Dr. Billy Graham. My mum was saved under his ministry at Harringay, went on to sing in the choir at Wembley, and the thousands and thousands who heard the gospel when he came. Maybe you think of him. See Margaret here this morning, maybe you think of Derek, Derek Cleave, who's given decades of his life to sharing the gospel. Doing it somewhere this morning, I don't know where, I'll find out from Margaret afterwards. It's what he does every single week. Maybe you think of people like John and M out in the Middle East who we support. Taking the gospel to people who don't yet know Jesus, going somewhere new. But you see who it is in this story. It's ordinary people like us. Ordinary people who just share the good news and take a chance. Crossing over from people who are just like them to people who aren't. To people who actually weren't part of their group, their community. And they brought the good news and look what happened. They didn't know when they did that what was going to happen. Would these people be hostile? People often were. Or would they be hungry for more? You never know till you share. But look what happens in this story here. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Wow. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so in that moment, in that moment, for the first time, a good number of people who were not Jewish came to believe in Jesus. And the church at Antioch was made up of people who were from many different nations. I don't know how many different nations are represented here this morning. I'd be surprised if it isn't eight to ten straight off the bat. It's quite a lot, isn't it? We're not a large gathering, but we're a mixed gathering. And it began here. And it begins when people like us actually stop thinking no one wants to know, and they're not going to care, and they're not going to be interested. We've never had people like that in our church before. And we start thinking, I'm not going to say their no's for them. I'm just going to talk about Jesus because I love him and he's changed my life. And because he's the king. And anyone who puts their trust in him can come to know him and be saved. I wonder, is there someone this week you could speak to? Is there someone this week who you could just pray? You'd say, Lord, give me one opportunity just this week to say something about why I love you so much. One reason why you're so great. One reason why following you has just changed my life and turned it upside down. A church that changes the world, you see, first it needs people that talk about Jesus. But secondly, it needs people who are encouragers. I love the next part of this story as well. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who t- believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. 
So, there they are, the apostles still back in Jerusalem. A report comes 300 miles south. And an alarm goes off. Uh, uh, uh. Something new has happened. Something we've never seen before. Is it real? Or is it fake? Are these real believers with the Holy Spirit who are from a Gentile background? Or is this fake news? So they find someone to dispatch to find out for sure whether this is the real door. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas was just such a great choice. One of the confusing things in Acts is no one's name is who it actually is. Peter is actually Simon. Paul is actually Saul. And Barnabas is actually Joseph. Get your head around that. You see, you get confused, that's why. Everyone's name keeps changing. Joseph was his actual name, but when the apostles saw him in action, they gave him a nickname. I'm guessing some of you know what it is. He was called Son of Encouragement, or in our language, Mr. Encouragement. So wherever he went, as there goes Mr. Encouragement. Barnabas just means Son of Encouragement, Mr. Encouragement. So when they think, who's the best person to check this out? They don't sort of appoint someone who's a mega brain, who's going to go with his clipboard and kind of tick stuff off. They pick Mr. Encouragement to go and see if it's any good. So the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas, Mr. Encouragement, to Antioch. When he came and saw oh, just how immature the church was. Just how little they knew. The fact they still weren't living out their faith consistently. The fact they, they didn't really understand the Old Testament. They never even read it. Oh, he was distressed. Folded his arms and looked cross. Say that in your version? No. It took him a year to sort the mess out with Saul. A year of teaching to get them sort of grounded. But when he came, look at what he did. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted or encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He looked out and he saw this diverse collection of people and he could see that God's grace was at work. They had really responded to Jesus. They'd responded to the good news of the cross. And their lives were being changed, very early stage. But very excitingly, they left their old gods behind and they were clearly now living for the Lord Jesus. And they clearly wanted to live for him more. And so Barnabas comes in and just says, look, you're doing the right thing. Just keep going the way you're going until Jesus fills your whole life. How was he able to do that? He was a good man. He wanted to do good to other people. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. His life was full of the life of the Lord Jesus and it showed. And he was a man of faith. He knew his own limitations. He couldn't change one person. But he could lean into the strength, the power and love of Jesus and share that with them. I love this man. Look at the difference his um, contribution makes. And a great many people were added to the Lord simply by being Mr. Encouragement. I don't know about you, but I often find life hard. It's a struggle. I struggle as a sinner and a sufferer. 
So I make a mess of things on a regular basis because I'm selfish. And I suffer because I live in a world that's messed up. And as a result, quite often I feel down. Quite often, I feel like I'm not really getting anywhere. And you know what you need in those moments? You don't need criticism, do you? You don't often need advice, even. What you need is encouragement. I don't think there can be a church that has too many encouragers in it. Do you know what encouragement is? It's seeing what God is doing and celebrating it. It's seeing what God is doing and celebrating what he's doing in the lives of your brothers and sisters. We need it. All of us need to get better at it, even the people in here with amazing gifts of encouragement. There are people in here who every time I speak to them, I feel encouraged. But even those of us who aren't that way, naturally inclined, we need to learn to encourage. To see what God is doing and celebrate it is a really important thing in a church that's going to change this world. So there's that. Third thing we need. We need evangelists, encouragers, teachers. Um, here we are. So a good number of people came to know the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, that should surprise us if we don't really know the story because Saul was the one who was responsible for Stephen being killed. But between these two stories, Saul had met with the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and become a follower of Jesus. There was only one problem. No one believed it was genuine. People were very suspicious of him. They thought he was almost like the worst undercover agent Oh, no, I'm one of you now. Can I come to your home? Can I meet all your Christian buddies? Can you imagine? Everyone was terrified of him, except one guy. Can you guess who crossed the room to find out if Saul's faith was genuine? It was Mr. Encouragement. He took a chance on his own life to find out, is this man the real deal? So he had met him. And he said, yeah, this is the real thing. He's got real faith in Jesus. And Saul had shared his faith, and then people really wanted to kill him from his own um, Jewish community. So he was sent off to uh, uh, Tarsus, where he was from, and was probably there for eight years. Eight years we know very little about. Maybe wondering... What was that all about? Eight years of my life, and I don't seem to be doing anything. I even wonder if maybe I've been forgotten by God. I was supposed to be doing something significant, and I'm stuck. You ever had that feeling? And then out of the blue, traveling 80 miles to find him four days, Barnabas rocks up after eight years, and says, you've got to come this way. God's doing something amazing, and I need you. You're the man for this job. With your mega brain and your knowledge of the Old Testament, these Gentiles who've never read it need you. Come. And Saul, 
goes back the four-day journey and teaches them. It says here, they both did that job. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the first disciples were called Christians. A messed up word, which people in the first century didn't really like. It was a bit of a mocking name. It simply means follower of Christ. E-N means follower, Christ the king. But it was a kind of jumbled up word, a mocking word. The word we now use to describe ourselves. And so churches need teaching. Not just what I'm doing now. You may or may not be learning anything this morning. But that's, that's what we're trying here this morning. But also one-to-one. All of you in here have something to teach someone else if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be a regular part, not just of sitting and receiving, but of giving that and passing that on to others. One of the ways we're going to be more than just a Sunday gathering or religious event is when everyone in this room takes what they know of Jesus and passes it on, not just to people outside of the church, but in it. We've got so much to learn from one another. So much. And particularly those things the Lord takes you through that you wouldn't choose. The longer you live, the more you'll have suffered. Simple as. The more experience you'll have been through that you never would have chosen. And you can either keep those to yourself, and sometimes that would just make you bitter, not better. Or you can say, I'm going to take the comfort the Lord's given me and use that to help others. Those going through times in their life that are difficult. Those going through new stages of life that they've not encountered before, but you've seen it from the other side and you can help them. Come on Tuesday night, because that's what I want to think through. I want to think through how we socially spend more time together, but also how do we bring God's word to one another? How do we do that? Come on Tuesday night. Let's work on that together. Last thing. Church needs people who talk about Jesus, the evangelists. Needs encouragers. It needs teachers. And lastly, it needs givers. Very brief. Now, in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, another 300-mile expedition. Prophets bringing God's word. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. A few years later, as he said, the famine came. what you'd expect. What I want you to notice, though, is this. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is an amazing moment again in the life of the church. This largely Gentile church drawn from all nations realized their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and in Judea were going to suffer most. In the past, they'd have had nothing to do with one another. But when they hear there's going to be famine, according to their ability, each and every person contributes to a fund that will keep those people alive. That is the transforming grace of God at work. 
And I want to say, we have two very precious commodities. One is time. You all have 168 hours a week. I guarantee it. We all get the same. And we all have very different amounts of money, different levels of responsibility, different outgoings. But let me tell you this, we all have something to give. We have something to give in terms of our time, and we have something to give in terms of our money. And a church that's going to change anything is going to have people who are generous with both. The Lord alone knows. No one else can judge whether you are generous. I will never know, I never want to know what you give. Either in terms of time or money. I'll never know how much time you give. I'll know some of the things you do. I'll never know how much money you give, and that's right. But the Lord knows. Not because he hates us, but because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to waste our life and he don't wants us to invest our money in nonsense. He wants us to live for him. And what you're seeing in this church here is the beginnings of that. A church that were giving all of themselves to the glory of Jesus and the good of his people. This is a church that went on to change the world. We might describe it slightly differently. I promise I didn't realize this till I started preparing this week. We might describe it as a church that cared. We might describe it as a church that cared about its community and its city as they reached out, not just to people who were like them, but to anyone who wanted to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We might describe them as a church that were committed to discipleship, encouraging one another to stay faithful to the Lord, teaching one another from the Scriptures what it means to really follow Jesus. We might describe them as a church that were committed to compassion, that when they heard there was going to be a famine down in the south, they didn't say, well, that's too bad for them. They got their hands in their pockets and they gave, and they gave their two best guys back. Barnabas and Saul sent off to take the gift to encourage the church down there. And you say, Neil, where's Christ's commission? We'll come back when we do chapter 13 and you'll see how serious this church was in making Jesus known. Brothers and sisters here at Philip Street, in one sense, the church at Antioch is the church we all want to be. They're living the life of Jesus we should all be living. The question for all of us is, filled with the Holy Spirit, will we do that? Will we live for him? Will we be on mission for Jesus? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the church in Antioch and for the example that they are to us. We thank you they were only that because your work, spirit was at work in their hearts and transforming them to be like Jesus. And Father, we pray as we begin here that we might see your hand at work upon us, that we might see a raising up of men and women who love to tell others about the Lord Jesus because he first loved us, that we'd see those here who are committed to spurring one another on in love and good deeds, encouraging and teaching one another as we have the opportunity that we'd see 
people here move with hearts of compassion within this church family for those in need, outside of this church family for those in need, and for all of us that we'd want to play our part in that great commission so that on that final day, we will just be there and rejoice with all those from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue who've responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray, shape us and take us and use us to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.